Howdy ho, neighbor. Welcome to episode 45 of Inbound Agency Journey. I'm Andrew, and wherever you find yourself today, thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your busy schedule to listen to us here. I hope that our conversation today with Carl Sakis from Sakis & Company uh, is fruitful for you and that from this you can take some nuggets of insight that you can apply to your agency or your future agency as you work to build your dream business. Uh, today we welcome back to the podcast, again, Carl Sakis from Sakis & Company to talk all about building a structured hiring process for your agency. Carl and I dive in and break down eight specific steps that you can walk through as you begin outlining a framework for growing your team. This is a big investment of time and resources, and you want to lose sleep before the hire, not after it. So without further ado, here we go. Welcome to Inbound Agency Journey. This is the show where inbound agency leaders share the strategies, shortcomings, and successes they've experienced in their journey toward building their dream agency. Now, here are your hosts, Andrew and Gray. Hey, Carl. Welcome back to Inbound Agency Journey. How are things going today? Going great. Glad to be back. Awesome. Well, as you know, season four here on Inbound Agency Journey is all about agency teams, all about how to build a scalable structure for your teams, different models to approach that. Uh, we wanted to bring you back on the podcast to grab some of your expertise around this topic as you have the opportunity to work with agencies all over the country. Um, and this is a common pain point. So we're excited to tap in and uh, hear some of your expertise on the topic. Looking forward to it. Awesome. So uh, first of all, Carl, for folks who haven't heard of you before, didn't have a chance to catch um, episode 25, which will be linked up in the show notes here, uh, give us a little bit of a background on you um, and how you help agencies in this space. Absolutely. My name is Carl Sakis. I run a business called Sakis & Company. I'm a consultant and coach for owners of digital marketing agencies. My clients are typically growing very fast and are having growing pains, and I help them through operations, strategy, and leadership advice grow without the usual growing pains and, importantly, grow profitably. Awesome. Um, so here today, we want to chat about how folks can build a structured hiring process. Um, and so before we dig into that specifically, any any anecdotes or any specific pieces of advice that you would offer someone who's reaching that pain point where, you know, capacity is a little bit stretched. They they've got some steady client work. They're looking to grow that team, um, but they want to do it smart. Any overall pieces of insight that you'd want to share before we dig into the specifics here? The key thing is to be intentional about it rather than just think, oh, I need someone. Let me th let me throw up a job posting and see what comes in. That can work, but you're ultimately leaving things to chance, both in finding the right person for that job, but also in defining, is that even the job you need to be hiring for? One of the questions is, for instance, should you be hiring a freelancer or a full-time person? What level of experience do they need? Do you need a generalist? Do you need a specialist? There are a lot of things you should think through before you post that job. I found that a lot of agency owners are in such a hurry to get started, such a hurry to find someone, that they'll just 
start going without thinking it through first. So very common. I, I understand the, the pressure there. My recommendation is to be more intentional about the process. And I, I can share one of the key things that, that to talk about today is around creating a structured process rather than handling things haphazardly. That's perfect. And we see it all over inbound agencies, the the idea of framework and structure. Um, you know, one of the pains that we had at Glavabox when we were getting up and going is when we made our first sale, we were all excited about that brand new customer, but we had no system or framework in place to to know what to do with that work, essentially. So we had them in there. They'd sign up for marketing, but we had no no process to flow through with. So when we think about growing the team, once there is a client base there, the same model, the same mindset needs to flow through to this area. We need a structured process in place to help facilitate um, the hiring journey because, you know, this is an HR is an expensive area to be playing with. You know, you don't want to hire the wrong person. It's better to lose sleep before you make the hire than after you make the hire. So do you want to give us an overview, Carl, on, you know, if you were advising a listener here, what would be a the, uh, a framework or an outline that you'd want to walk through when they're thinking about adding a new member to the team? Sure. And, and just to normalize your experience, that's very common. I have a client in Australia who signed a $20,000 a month retainer client without having anyone on board to fulfill the work. Oh, my word. <laughs> that created a huge, huge struggle, a huge, huge scramble. Uh, working with a client now in Boston who's trying to figure out how do we get the right people on board that are going to be at the right level of seniority to lead other people, but who aren't at the point in their career that they're saying, well, I've you know been there, done that, I'm looking for something easy. So definitely different challenges, but ultimately, you know, the, if you think about it, the key difference between an agency versus being an individual marketing consultant is your team. So let's, yeah, I'm glad to dig into specifics, creating that structured process. Awesome. So where would we get started? Well, here, let me run through the steps and then I can dig into each of those. So the first is to define. Second is elaborate. Third is share. Fourth is pre-screen. Fifth is interviews. Sixth is references. Seventh is the offer and negotiations. And finally, eighth is onboarding, setting people up for a successful first day, first week, month, year, and so on. So let's take a closer look at each of those. Define that, that first step is ultimately where you're defining what is the need. What are you trying to accomplish by hiring this person, whether a freelancer, whether an employee? What's the goal? Ultimately, that should be informed by your long-term goals for the agency. I talk about how agencies ultimately are leaning toward either being a lifestyle agency or a high-growth agency. High-growth is where the goal is to grow as fast as possible, typically because you want to sell within a few years. Lifestyle is more focused on run the agency for as long as possible, you're not necessarily looking for an exit, although you might be open to an offer. Most people are somewhere in the middle, but if you're doing high growth and you're trying to grow as fast as possible, ultimately you need lots of people on the team to fulfill the work, and you also need people who are doing marketing and sales to help you focus your time on running the business rather than being in the business all the time. So starting by understanding where your goals are, that'll help drive the right person, and ultimately, you're defining, well, okay, what is it that you need? 
That then gets into the next step, elaborate. So let's say you've decided that the role you need is a project manager. It's a, a common hiring role. I, I found typically clients, as they're running agencies, the, the next hire is frequently a project manager, a salesperson, or an inbound marketing consultant. But let's use project manager as the, the particular example. So now it's time to elaborate. Well, part of the elaboration process is writing the job description. What is, what is the person you need? If you have someone in this role already, you might have a job description. If not, you could certainly use their experience to write one. And then you're going to convert that into a job posting. You know, the description is more of the internal document about what it is that they're doing or how they're focusing their time. The posting is more of a marketing document. How do you attract the person you want based on your goals? That also can include things like the level of experience. For instance, maybe you're looking for a more entry-level project coordinator. Perhaps you're looking for a mid-level project manager. Maybe you need someone who's more of an executive producer leading a team of other PMs. So this is ultimately under the elaborate, elaborate step. This is where you're trying to figure out, okay, what are the specific details so you can get started? Third stage after define and elaborate is share. Share is where you're posting the job. And ideally, you're also using your network and your team's network to get the word out about the job. Most likely, the person who's a great match isn't randomly applying through your applicant tracking system or through your jobs at agencyname.com email address. So true. And, you know, if, if you think about it, uh, when employees are happy at your agency, they want other people to join them, too. Now, if you've got a morale problem, you really need to fix that first before it comes to getting people to promote the job. But let's say morale is, is generally good. That, that said, you do want to make it easier for people to share. So have a landing page that, that you and others can point people to. I, I'm a big fan of using applicant tracking systems. That's where you've got a form on the front end and a database on the back end. If you're expecting more than 50, certainly more than 100 candidates for the role, you really need to use an applicant tracking system. That makes your life much easier. But ultimately, getting the word out. Uh, I'm also a fan of working through professional associations, whether it's a marketing association, design association, things like that, to get the word out, rather than just emailing it out to a bunch of people and hoping the right person finds it. So that's share. Next step is pre-screening. This is the process where you're reviewing the applicants, going through the people you, you've heard from. So again, we're using the, the project manager example, looking through to see, okay, say you get 100 applicants. Some of those are going to be a terrible fit. They're applying to every job out there. They're not qualified. These are ones you want to pass on. Now, I, I am a fan of sending a polite rejection to people, but in any case, you are going to have a number of people that just aren't a match. Some are sort of moderate, and some are going to be really strong matches. You're trying to figure out who are the people that you should spend the most time on in terms of next steps. Part of pre-screening also includes doing pre-screen interviews. This will be a short phone or Skype conversation. You know, it doesn't have to be super long. It might be 20 minutes per person. And this is a chance to see how they are. You know, someone can look great on paper, but they're not great in person or on the phone. This is a chance to sort that out. The key thing about the pre-screen process 
is you're trying to avoid wasting time on people that aren't a good fit, in particular, wasting time in interviews with your team members who should be billing. If you've got five people in an interview from your team, those are five people who are not billing for that time. Now, five people is too many, but you know, you've got a couple people, they're not billing for that time. It needs to be worth it. That's yeah. where pre-screen comes in. A- any questions so far? No, I'm liking what I'm hearing around the structure of it. Um, from someone who's done this, I think the, for me, the hardest part is the just elaborating that and just digging in to exactly what's the pain I'm trying to solve. Because, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you got a hundred different plates splitting, it can be hard to just pick one thing, define what you want them to do, especially if your team is small, there's, there could be a lot of overlap for that person, but disciplining yourself to structure exactly the type of job that you are posting and then going out and posting for it and sharing it out there and getting it out there, um, not trying to solve all your problems with one posting, but being specific with it. I think that's a really valuable piece uh, of insight here. And really, if you're going to scale your business, you've got to have the positions well-documented and well-defined. Otherwise, you're just going to keep kind of growing at a chaotic clip. Chaotic clip is definitely not the the pace you want to grow at. (laughs) If you think about it, if you're running an agency, if you're a partner or, or the sole owner of an agency, your agency is likely your biggest asset or certainly one of your biggest financial assets. If you're planning to sell your agency, you're expecting a really big payday in the future. And making the right staffing decisions as you're building your team, as you're recruiting, is going to help you maximize your valuation. Or if you make bad decisions, it's going to hurt that valuation. And if you're running a lifestyle agency and your goal is to keep running the agency as long as possible, well, this is your biggest source of income in terms of salary distributions, bonuses, and other things for the foreseeable future. This is too important to leave to chance. And and that's why we're talking about creating a structured process for building your team. Awesome. So true. This is a, you got to value it. This is, you're not just, it's not just you as an owner. You're building something here that's bigger than yourself. So this is great, Carl. Keep rolling. What else you got on the list? Next up, number five is interviews. So after you've done that initial screening through reviewing applicants, doing pre-screen phone calls, uh, like mini interviews. Now it's time to do more in-depth interviews. After the pre-screen, I'm a fan of doing at least one, but preferably two interviews after that. So the pre-screen might be you uh, or a team member do, basically doing the, the not, what I would call the not crazy test. Do people pass the not crazy test? Okay, great. Now we're going to make time further. At this point, some agencies will have the agency owner do the the initial one to kind of get a sense of things. Other times they'll have a project manager or a department director do that. Ultimately, your goal here is to dig in further. You're going beyond the the overall sense of of fit and personality, digging into their past experience to see, is their experience truly relevant to what you need? For instance, uh, if you're hiring a project manager, one of the key drivers is what are the mistakes they've made before? Because when you're hiring a PM, you want someone, ideally, who has made most of those big mistakes at another agency. I just had a conversation earlier today with an agency strategist, and it was talking about the idea, you know, when you, if you're doing web development, when you launch a client site, one of the beginner mistakes 
is a developer forgets to load the Google Analytics code and other tracking codes, and suddenly you realize a month later that you don't have any of the tracking info for the past month. If someone's been a PM for more than a few months, they've probably made that mistake before. You ideally want someone who's made that mistake somewhere else rather than making it on your dime and your client's dime. Yeah, learn, so, on, learn on the previous employer's tick, yeah. Ideally, yes. And, and that can be a challenge when you're hiring, if based on your budget, you're having to hire more junior people. But then you can at least be aware that some of those problems are going to come up. So looking at uh, using the interview to look at what have they learned from past experience? Also getting a sense of, in the PM example, what are the budgets they've managed? What are the teams they've managed? What, is that, what does that look like? You know, in, in my experience, the largest project I've managed started at $300,000, and ultimately by the end, it was about a half-million-dollar budget. And I've also managed things that were much smaller. But you, know, you want to ask people about the work they've done. You know, someone managing a $5,000 project with two people is very different from experience managing the half-million-dollar project with a dozen people. Sure. So you, you want to get a sense of what their, what their norm or what their experience is and, and then dig into that. So you, you ideally are going to do multiple interviews uh, so that it's not just you speaking with the person. Uh, especially for PMs and others who are collaborating with others, you want them to meet a number of people. Yeah. The, the key, though, is building that funnel in the sense that if at any point someone isn't a match, you need to end the process there for them rather than wasting your team member's time and, and the candidate's time if it's clear that there's not a good match. I, I once had a candidate where I was involved in the interview the candidate arrived 20 minutes late oh, for the dear. interview. And in fact, we were sitting in the conference room for 15 minutes waiting for her to get there. And finally, at 15 minutes, like, well, I guess she's not going to make it. Uh, we all went back to our, our respective desks, and she shows up. Now, that did not go well for her. Uh, she blamed us for her being late. She said that uh, she couldn't find our office in the building, and we really should have had something on our website about how to find it. Oh, dear. Which was ironic because we did have a section <laughs> on our website about how to find the office because we knew this was a problem. <laughs> That's awesome. She had not read it. Uh, blamed us for, for making that complicated. Uh, she'd left her phone at home, so she'd gone back to get the phone, which is why she hadn't called us and this and that. I guess the irony here was that the job she was applying for was to be, yes, a project manager. <laughs> and you're looking for some some awesome features of that position is thinking on your feet, assuming responsibility, gaining confidence in the other party. She did a great job on that in the first interview. She did not get hired. <laughs> no. No. Oh, that, and, and, and you awesome. know, if, the whole thing about that is if she had taken responsibility for it, I think she would have had a chance to move on from there. But instead, she was blaming other people. You know, when you're a project manager, part of the role is taking responsibility for other people's mistakes, yeah. much less your own, you know, for, for the sake of agency. So ah, that the interview <laughs> was certainly instructive in, in that sense. That's awesome. So ultimately, with, with interviewing, you'll ultimately get to the point that you, you're ready to move forward with a particular candidate. Now, a lot of people will jump to making an offer. I recommend instead that sixth step of checking references first. This is your opportunity to figure out, okay, what's really going on 
are they really as good as they say they are? And a lot of agencies will skip references because it does take time. You're trying to track people down. There is a tendency for, in general, if someone is going to recommend someone as a reference, they probably like that person. Not always, as I've, as I've found. Uh, but ultimately, uh, you don't want to skip it because you can find some key information. And, and one of the keys, and, and I'll be elaborating on this in my, my upcoming book on recruiting at agencies, is asking the right questions. So that includes asking open-ended questions, asking people to rate people on a numeric scale. For instance, you know, a after asking some background info about the person's relationship, how they worked with the candidate, I'm a fan of asking something along the lines of, on a scale of zero to 10, how likely are you to hire them in the future? If you had a role that was the right match. That answer is very instructive. I, I once asked that and the reference who had been the person's previous manager a couple jobs ago, paused a little bit too long. Uh -oh. And then she said, uh, seven, uh, no, no, eight. <laughs> So too. <laughs> so that 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 didn't go well. And in contrast, I asked the same question of another another hire, and and she instantly said ten. I would and and she said I'd love to hire her again. I just don't have budget for that role right now. But if I did, I you know we wouldn't be talking. I would have hired her already. That's the answer you want to hear, not the uh, seven, no eight. Yeah, and, and it's important to consider in the ref regarding reference checks, people want to be positive. You know, they want the person to get a job, even if maybe things didn't work out well. Especially if they've if they've fired someone, uh, they they still want the person to get a job. They feel bad about what happened. So, you know, asking those follow up questions and asking for the the quantitative rating. Mm -hmm. Is is a good way to to dig into that. Nice. Uh, the the one other consideration is when you get a lot. You know, it's normal to ask for a list of say three references. One of the things that I pay attention to is who are the references. In particular, are they former managers? Because mm -hmm. if someone gives references and they're all coworkers or, or things like that, I, I'm more skeptical. If someone has been someone's manager they're going to have a good view of what they're like as an employee. Whereas, you know, if someone's a coworker, it's like, oh, yeah, they were a great person. You know, they, they were fun to, to work with. Yeah. As opposed to their manager who would be, well, you know, they were fun to work with, but they were always missing their deadlines. Yeah. So that's the references stage, stage six. Now, so, before, yes. we, before we jump on, thinking about interviews, thinking about references, have you seen any difference if the position is in-person versus remote? Uh, and the clients you've worked with, or should you, should this process be followed in essentially the same manner? Hmm. If someone is going to be working remotely, the ideal is to do at least one in-person interview. But it also depends on your agency structure. You know, if everybody at the agency is working remotely, it may not make sense for someone to fly somewhere if the other people they're speaking with aren't in the same place. Yeah. Uh, so ultimately, that depends on on a mix of budget and how important the role is. Uh, that said, I, I am a fan of, of doing in-person if you can. I worked with a client in New England that was hiring a salesperson, and they had done some phone interviews and, and everything. It seemed to go smoothly. 
uh, and the the agency owner, my client, sent me the person's info and said, hey, just take a look, see if there's anything else you find. We're, we're planning to fly him in for an interview. And in under an hour, I concluded that this particular guy was almost certainly a pathological liar. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there were certain things that didn't add up, and these were the publicly verifiable things. And I shared this info with my client and, and shared my concern. And she started, you know, if you think about the, the thread on a, on, a, on a sweater, started pulling the thread and suddenly everything unraveled. Yeah. She didn't move forward with him, saved n not only the money on the airfare and hotel and things like that, but saved probably a week or two of time, maybe even more. I mean, because everyone liked him. They, they might have hired him and realized several months later that that didn't work out. So, you know, having that, that structured process is important. Okay. So regardless of in-person or if it's a remote position, take the time to dig in, set a clear definition. What does the job look like? Do your due diligence. Don't just interview them and take them at their word. Dig into their background, check up on their references, have conversations, and if you see a red flag early, make sure you pay attention to it. Definitely. And, and when you see one red flag, usually there are multiple red flags if you start looking. And if there are multiple red flags, there are probably other red flags you can't see. So pay attention to that, especially if you're hiring someone that you're expecting to make a huge impact on your agency. Maybe it's your first project manager. Your goal is to expand, and part of that is having the PM. There is a multiplier effect helping you coordinate more people so you can do more billable work. Maybe it's a salesperson. You know, maybe you hate sales and you want someone else to handle that. Well, you better get a really good salesperson, not someone who is merely good at selling themselves. They need to be good at selling your agency's services and things like that. So when it's an especially critical role, it's worth investing more time and energy to improve your chances of making the right decision. Awesome. All right, so, how do we wrap up the process? So let's say the, the references have gone well. You're ready to, to move forward. Now it's time to do the offer and the negotiation. This is where ultimately you are giving them a job offer. It doesn't necessarily have to be a formal letter. An, an email should be fine. You know, speak with your attorney just to double check based on your state or province or, or territory. But ultimately, you're making the offer. That's going to be, here's the job. Here's the planned start date. Here is the compensation. And here are any other benefits in general. This is your opportunity to lay out what it is that they're going to be doing. And so that ultimately there, there are no questions about the specifics. And email is fine. Uh, ultimately, uh, or it probably makes sense to make the initial offer by phone uh, and, and then send an email recapping it. So you make the offer. Uh, if the person is smart, they'll say, you know, thanks. Uh, let, can I have a couple days to think about it? Uh, so, you know, they'll they'll do that. Um, you probably have a strong number one and then maybe a more distant number two. And then at this point, it's your turn to kind of sweat things a little bit while you're waiting to hear back from them. They're going to come back and they may accept the offer and say, you know, sounds good. Let's let's move forward. They may reject the offer, uh, which is less common. You know, that suggests that you probably haven't read the situation too well. They're most likely, though, to come back with a counteroffer. 
Uh, so you've offered them a certain amount of money, uh, and they'll say, you know, I, I'm interested in things overall, except I would need the salary to be such and such. Uh, or, you know, maybe maybe they want to negotiate the title, or maybe they want to negotiate additional work from home days or things like that. So that's where negotiation come in. Now, ideally, you've figured out what is your ideal combo and what is your kind of maximum combo as you're, as you're making the offer. Yeah. Some agencies like to start with something low and then figure the candidate will negotiate, try to get it higher, and they'll settle somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, depending on the role, I'm a fan of publishing the hiring range. For instance, had worked with an agency where they were hiring junior people at twenty-five dollars to $30,000 a year for a very entry-level role. So ultimately, when they were making a $30,000 offer, it was clear that this this is the maximum. You know, we're not just making it up. Yeah. Now, mo most agencies don't publish ranges. I'm not a huge fan of that. You know, if you know what the range is, publish it. But in, in any case, uh, you know, you can either decide do you start with your best offer or do you start with something lower and know that there's going to be some negotiation. You know, I, I think it depends on do you want the, the CarMax model of the price is fixed and here's what you pay for the car? Or do you want more of the haggling approach where it's back and forth? Go with what works for your personality. Uh, ultimately, you'll narrow things down and either they'll walk away, which is possible, but probably not if you're at this point, or you'll come up with an offer that's somewhere in the middle. At that point, you can do the email, email recap. Uh, you may want to have them sign something accepting the offer uh, and, and you're ready to move forward to the next step. Uh, stage uh, final final stage eight, which is onboarding. Uh, any questions though on the offer negotiation? Uh, I like it so far. I like the CarMax model um, because you know you, my my thought rolling into this is always present a lower offer than what you would go with. Have a max that you're willing to hit before you get into the emotion of the negotiation. Because especially if you're talking to someone that you really really want. And they're asking for more than you can give. You know, it's not a good financial decision to go with it. You know, you've got to you got to set those limits, those triggers, essentially, um, in place before you get into conversations. So that you know, hey, you know, we're going to walk away from this person right now. That can be a hard decision to make, especially if it's one of those key people you were talking about. That person that you're hoping is going to be the nurturer for future folks. Um, so having that operating system in place early, and then also maintaining clear expectations with those candidates through the process so that they know, you know, here is the range that we're looking at for this role. So if they see that number come in in the high aspect of that range, they know where that places them in the pecking order instead of them building that range in their own mind because, you know, one way or another, that range exists. It's just, <laughs> are you going to control it or are they going to control it? So um, I like setting those expectations up front and just being as clear as possible through the process. I think it's good advice. Exactly. I mean, going back to the, the sharing process where you have your, your job posting, you know, I recommend publishing the, the range. It's also fine to ask people what are their salary expectations. I, I, I'm not a fan of the ask people salary, salary history. I, I think that's not really any of your business. The key is what are they expecting for the role you're hiring for? That's what's relevant. So ideally, if you've done that all along, there are no surprises. Now, I, I will say, uh, final point on negotiation, you know, if you're doing, doing the counteroffer and doing negotiation, maybe you're at a point where you can't afford to offer more money, but you really want them and they want more money. So what do you do? 
well, as you said, you don't want to stretch beyond what you can afford. It is worth considering, are there some intangibles or non-recurring tangibles? For instance, maybe they're really interested in professional development. I mean, I hope they are because the agency world is constantly changing. Maybe instead of giving them an extra $3,000 in their salary, maybe you can give them a $2,000 conference allowance. Or maybe you can let them pick the equipment they get. Uh, you know, as they're as they're picking out their computer setup. I mean, at, at one point, I was negotiating an agency role, and one of my one of my expectations was I needed three computer monitors. I knew that that was important for my productivity, and I included that as as part of the negotiations. You know, and and in that case, you know, they had an extra monitor. You know, if if they had bought one, it probably would have cost them one hundred fifty dollars. You know, that, that let me get value without them having to give up substantial value. So do consider intangibles. Maybe it's an extra work from home day. Maybe it's something else. It isn't all about the money. Awesome. So get creative. Exactly. On on to onboarding, the the final stage, because ultimately, you know, the beginning of the process, you're thinking, whoa, I need to hire someone. Uh, What do I do now? Toward the end of the process, now it's time to get people onboarded. So person has accepted the offer. You've made the offer, they've accepted, you're ready to get them started. Now, you're really excited, but put yourself in their shoes. They've just made a huge commitment in terms of accepting a new job. They're about to resign from their previous company if they're currently employed. They're taking a big risk. They don't know if it's going to work out. I mean, you don't know if it's going to work out, but they don't know either, especially if they're relocating. That's a a big risk, relocating for for your, your job. You now, in the onboarding stage, step eight, want to make things as smooth as possible. So, a few things to consider. Send them a welcome note, like a handwritten note, about how much you're looking forward to working with them. Send them paperwork for things like insurance onboarding, so they have that info beforehand. One, that saves time on the first day, so they're not filling out the health insurance application. But two, it also shows that you're thinking ahead about these things. If they have options about what computer they get, you know, do they want a laptop or desktop? You know, agencies generally are trending toward toward laptops, but you know, if that's an option, you know, let them pick, uh, or maybe give them a couple options in a particular budget range. Uh, you know, now is the time to design and order their business cards. You know, when I meet people at networking events, and the person's like, "Oh, I just started the job. I don't have the cards yet," and they've been there for a month. Why not? That, that is signaling that the company does not care about the person enough to order the business cards and get them there on their first day. Yeah, it's a good you know, b- Before hiring, you know, the time to, to make the cards. You know, if you have some options, you can ask them to double-check the proof and, and things like that. But you know, nothing, you know, if you're, if you're, say you're spending $75 on a small run of cards with rush delivery, that's a great investment in showing this new person that you're paying tens of thousands of dollars to, if not six figures, that you care about them having a great initial experience. Other things to consider, getting their computer set up, getting their phone set up. Uh, I once started a role where my email didn't work for two and a half days. It's hard to get stuff done at an agency if you don't have email. Uh, you know, Some other things around how their desk set up. You know, so that, that things are ready to go rather than they show up on the first day and they're like, oh, yeah, um, you know, here, can you move those boxes out of the way? And, you know, 
wipe down the dust and stuff <laughs> like that. You know, you want to show that you care. Yeah. That also includes if someone is starting at a more distant date rather than just say, you know, two weeks notice and they start in two weeks or soon after that, staying in touch with them about what's going on. You know, maybe you're hiring someone to start a month or two in the future for, for some reason. Stay in touch. Don't disappear. Because if you disappear, they're wondering, oh, what's what's going on? Ultimately, you want it to go smoothly. And and that also includes in the, the first day, first week, first month, setting expectations for what you're expecting from them, what's normal, and what success looks like. Because that'll help prevent surprises later. That'll help you retain great people. And ultimately, you know, it's it's all part of that structured process. Your agency is too important to leave everything to chance. That's awesome. A few weeks ago on the podcast, we had Bob and Natalie on from Impact Branding Design. And that whole conversation was about this onboarding process and onboarding structure. And they reiterated over and over again the power of expectation um, and how early on in the process they saw red flags and ran right past them with new hires. And, you know, it's pay me now or pay me later because if you ignore issues today, those are only going to grow and fester and come back and bite you later on through the process. So to pay attention in this onboarding process, make folks feel at home, but also clarify exactly what does define success because it's within that structure that we can all, you know, have a, a healthy and happy work environment and really get stuff done that at the end of the day satisfies the client and delivers on their goals and where they're trying to go because that's going to dictate success for everyone here. Running an agency is hard. You don't want to make it harder than it has to be. Amen, Carl. Carl, these these eight steps, this is awesome stuff. Thanks for laying it out right here. Glad to. Awesome. So now you've got an exciting book coming up in the near future. Can you just share with us a little bit of an overview? Give us the inside scoop on what you got cooking. And if people want to learn more information about it, where's the best place for them to go? Absolutely. The, the, the tentative title is Intentional Recruiting, How to Hire Your Marketing Agency's Dream Team. It'll be coming out later in 2016. If you're interested in keeping up and finding out when it comes out, I'd recommend sign up for my email newsletter. Newsletter comes out twice a month focused on agency management advice, how to grow without the usual growing pains. You also get a copy of my ebook speaking about expectations management, about managing your clients' expectations. Ebook is called Don't Just Make the Logo Bigger, Taking Clients from Painful to Profitable. You can get a free copy of that if you go to sakasandcompany.com slash newsletter. That's S-A-K-A-S-A-N-D the word company.com slash newsletter, you'll get an instant free copy of that along with the advice and a heads up on when the intentional recruiting for agencies book comes out. Awesome. Carl, thank you once again for coming on. Uh, we got some great feedback from your last episode. That was episode 25 here on the Inbound Agency Journey. And just thanks again for coming on and sharing this great stuff. Um, if you guys uh, are curious, if you liked anything what Carl had to say today, I encourage you to check out his website, reach out to him, set up a phone call. He's a great guy and has some awesome, awesome tips to share with folks. Uh, after talking to some people who have worked with him in the past, he comes uh, with with some great uh, recommendations from folks who have actually worked with him. So head on over to com and learn more about what Carl's been up to. Carl, thank you again, and uh, have a great day, man. 
Thank you very much. Take care, Andrew. This episode of Inbound Agency Journey is brought to you by Let's Game Plan, the premium training product designed to help marketing agencies build better inbound marketing strategies for their clients. If you want to learn how to sell, build, and deliver an amazing inbound strategy for your clients using a pre-built and proven system, visit doinbound.com slash game plan. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash game plan. Now, back to the show. Hey guys, this is Gray joining Andrew here to recap his conversation with Carl Sakis. Andrew, great convo. I really enjoyed the way that Carl broke down his eight steps and walked through the process of recruiting, hiring, and onboarding new team members. From your perspective, just wrapping up that call, uh, what, what are some takeaways from what Carl had to share? Um, I think there are you know, a lot of takeaways here. This is hiring's a big decision for an agency to take on, especially if if you're young, because you're really at a vulnerable stage there. When let's say you're just you know a partner team, the two partners are doing all the sales, all the marketing, all the delivery themselves. Maybe bringing in a few contractors to fill the gaps here and there. But then you get to that point where you want to bring on that third person. Um, you know, it's tempting to just bring on that person. Um, I'm thinking back to Emith. I can't remember the character, the name of the guy who comes in and takes over shipping in that illustration. And I'm sorry, everyone, for just throwing in an inside reference there if you haven't read the book, The Emith. But it's tempting to just hire that person to get stuff off of your plate. And that's really not what the first hire should be all about or any hire should be all about. So when I'm thinking back to my conversation with Carl, one of my takeaways was the first point in his eight steps was defining and then the second point of elaborating. First, defining what does your organizational structure look like and what, do you, what are you trying to build here? And then elaborate, what is that position going to entail? Because as entrepreneurs, it's tempting to just go out and try to bring in a clone of ourselves who can touch all areas of the business and have that ownership bird's eye view of everything. But I think at the end of the day, not only are there going to be personality clashes there because you're bringing in another alpha, but also you are – you're going to be in a position where no one really knows what success means because there's too much ambiguity in the setup. Um, so def- going in and defining what is the structure that I'm trying to fill. You know, if I look, what's my three-year plan? Where, what are the positions that I would like to see in the agency at that point to survive at my target revenue goals? Um, then go back to that conversation. Are you scaling for growth? Are you scaling for lifestyle? Somewhere in between. Get a, a lock on that vision. And then go in and define the positions that it's going to take to deliver that vision and then use that to basically build yourself out of the the detail and the tactical work so that you kind of start at the bottom of that org chart and move your way up as the owner. Um, Those two steps, to me, I see the most value in those as an agency owner because you're – not only are you going – are they the first key steps to finding the right person – but I think also it's it's healthy operationally to walk through that exercise, even if you're not ready to hire, and know who you're looking for out there in the marketplace. Yeah, that's definitely true. Having those goals from the beginning of what are we trying to achieve here is really helpful, and not not even just helpful for obviously it's helpful internally, but it's really helpful for the person who you're trying to go after to have some idea of what they're going to be doing when they get into the agency. I was just listening to um, a podcast the other day. I think it was the Rocket Ship podcast, um, talking with a guy about building out your sales organization and just talking about if you're if you're talking with a great salesperson, 
in the recruiting process, you're trying to hire them. They're going to have all kinds of questions. They want to know who's the best fit customer, who are the last 10 customers who you sold, what are the questions that they asked throughout that, you know, all these details around that. And that kind of structure, being able to give that to somebody coming in and saying, here's what your role looks like, there's always ways to grow it from there. Uh, great people, I think their roles just generally expand significantly organically. Um, but but I think starting out with that clear structure and goal from the beginning is a big piece of building a successful organization. Awesome. Well, hope you enjoyed this conversation with Carl today. If you've got any questions, any follow-ups off of this, uh, Carl's contact info will be on the show notes, which you can get to at doinbound.com slash podcast. Thank you for listening to Inbound Agency Journey. You can find the show's notes for today's episode at doinbound.com slash podcast. Again, that's doinbound, all one word, dot com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, head over to iTunes to subscribe or leave us a review of the show. Until next time, remember, life is a journey. Keep moving forward.